Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. Something can catch my interest, even if I don't like it, even if I fucking hate it. If there's something about it that is interesting to me or that bothers me, like I'm going to poke and prod at that and like try to figure it out. So it doesn't really make sense to me when people just want to enjoy something without thinking about it because to me like the enjoyment kind of at least in part comes from thinking about it and you know like seeing what is the thing doing what is it saying welcome to pixel therapy the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player where what you play is just as important as how you play it and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them, and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Let's kick things off as we <laughs> always do with our Patreon shoutouts. This is our super special thank you to everyone who subscribed at our Patreon name in the credits tier for the month of December. This month, we want to give some gratitude to Val, Genevieve, Lindsay, Grace, Jackie, Ben, and Cortland. Thank you all so very much for your continued support. Mm-hmm. Remember, if you, lovely listener, want to get your name in the credits, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod, where you can subscribe for as little as just $2 a month, which unlocks a monthly bonus episode of Pixel Therapy for your listening pleasure. And if you're a fan of what we do here on Pixel Therapy, please... Please consider sharing us with your friends and family, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, or you can write into the show by emailing us at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> send us an email. Write, write a little something in an email yeah. and hit send yeah. to us. I'd love it. I would love to receive an email. <laughs> All right. It's time to get cozy. <laughs> Pull up an armchair. Feel free to lie down on the couch and let's talk about our feelings. Spencer, how are you? Oh my gosh, Jamie, I'm great. I actually, Ow. I'm upgrading my space Ooh. and I'll tell you more. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, tell me more. <laughs> I've gotten these hexagons. Mm, they're, mm-hmm. they're these hexagon lights and they look like panels. Oh. And I put them up on my wall and I look very like streamer core right now. Yeah, like, I yeah. feel like I'm ready to just preview <laughs> debut on twitch like i'm just ready ready to um, drop into a uh, Fortnite. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm ready to jump into the metaverse people um but they're really cool i don't know i was just i was looking for something to kind of try to make my game space more inspirational um even though i'm when i sit down to game i'm pretty much just like laser focused on the tv there's something i'm trying to like be better about making the space <laughs> in which i game feel like self-care and so <laughs> one of those things uh was the lighting situation it's kind of like the room i'm in um it's where the magic happens that's where i podcast and where i game uh, and where Ooh. i work and where i sleep <laughs> 
<laughs> but, <laughs> an all-in-one. <laughs> yeah, it's all-in-one. Uh, also, also, I just, I'm amused by that because you have, you have a large, you know, country farmhouse <laughs> and yet all the magic happens concentrated to one key room. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, I have to share the house with other people and it's like weird that I can't leave my gaming stuff everywhere. It's like, what's up with that? <laughs> you don't want to see me playing uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla for like 12 hours a day? You, you don't? Oh, I think oh, the bigger sorry. issue is that Tales of Arise background oh noise. Not a, not a great one to be a backseat call. gamer for. <laughs> yeah, people, everyone in my house knows exactly what all of the battle cries are in Tales of, a, of Arise. Um, Lightning Tiger Blade. We've, we've said them all to each other like constantly. Just That's amazing. It's inescapable. Because um, the other thing about like an old farmhouse covered in wood floors is that sound travels. So pretty much anywhere you were in the house, you would hear Law crying out his battle cry whenever I was playing <laughs> Tales of Arise. <laughs> uh, but uh, I really like these panels. They're called Nano Leafs, if people are interested. Um, I'm not getting compensated in any way for this. So, you know, it's a genuine endorsement. Um, no kickbacks. I don't know. There's something about the changing color like you can set them to change colors and it just kind of sets a mood and makes me feel happy so i've been doing that um actual gaming wise i will say i've been a little i've been feeling kind of that midwinter ennui i suppose Mm, Uh, mm -hmm. for me it's the uh, like pretty big game release on me is what happens don't want to get too attached we're on the cusp of horizon zero no Horizon Forbidden West. I always want yeah. to call it Horizon Zero Dawn Forbidden West. Oh, is that not the official the title? Sorry. It's, well, it's Horizon <gasps> Forbidden West. What do you Oops. mean, sorry? Because I've been saying it wrong. I've, I've been saying the full Horizon Zero Dawn colon Forbidden West. No, nah, I think but... it's just Horizon Forbidden West. All right. But it's the sequel right. to Horizon Zero Dawn. So yeah. I don't know. You're forgiven. They've it's the next a lot of Horizon. <laughs> they got a lot of the next Horizon. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we got the trailer this week. Uh, uh, the story trailer showing that uh, and both Angela Bassett and Carrie Ann Moss both are my doing are some vo- voices in this video game, Hell and yeah. I'm just like mm, champing, champing at the bit. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be epic. Um, but yeah, I guess it's been it's been kind of a dearth of of content, I suppose. Um, I will say I've been leaning hard into Game Pass. I have not mm. touched my PlayStation Five in oh. like two months. Poor guy. <gasps> What? Um, sorry, that's like big for me because at first I was like, PlayStation Five controller is better, and the and the interface is. is better, and it I is. just I don't know about this Xbox stuff. But then Game Pass kept being like, "Hey, remember all these cool games you wanted to play? Well, we have them now." So <laughs> I downloaded so many games, but the ones I've been playing this past week have been Moonlighter, which is like a um, I suppose it's roguish, roguelike-ish. Um, you're this shopkeeper who, um, uh, basically, okay, so these mysterious dungeons appeared in this world and a town cropped up next to the dungeons because people who go into the dungeons have come back with, uh, materials and items that other people want to buy. And so you are a shopkeeper, um, who goes into the dungeons to find cool shit and then you have a shop and you sell your shit. Um, and so it kind of is like a mix of that kind of like, I don't know, life farming sim plus hack and slash craziness. Um, so that game has been really fun and cool. It's a, uh, I know it's an indie title that's, that's gotten a lot of attention in past years. Um, but maybe the, the, 
the fervor has cooled off a bit, but it's been fun for me to play. Um, Great soundtrack, too. Yeah, really good soundtrack. I also tried to download A Plague Tale Innocence again. Mm-hmm, uh, I tried mm-hmm. to play it a bit early or late last year, and then I just got like too scared because it's a little stressful. Um, so in that game, uh, you play as a brother and sister who... Okay, something I forgot is at the beginning of... Like, okay, it's called A Plague Tale Innocence. So in your head, you're like, okay, I'm imagining there's like... I'm in the... Oh, boy. Wait, let me just look it up really quick. Sorry. Okay, 14th century France. Okay. So it's set in 14th century France during the Hundred Years' War. So you kind of expect like, oh, okay, it's going to be like the Black Plague. It's going to be some Inquisition action going on. Um, But there's something like freakishly supernatural going on. I'll say like in the opening scene of the game, you're walking with your father in the woods. Um, This was, and A Plague Tale Innocence is pretty striking. It was uh, developed by Asobo Studio and published by Focus Home Interactive. And it's an indie game, but the, the scope of it, like the art, the Mm -hmm. mechanics, like it, 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 the quality is, is incredible. And so I think it it really. It plays like a smaller scoped, like triple A game, I would say, or much closer to it. It'd be like a kind of mid tier something. Yeah. Maybe in between what you might be expecting from a smaller independent game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but in the opening scene of the game, you're with your father and your hunting dog. You're in these gorgeous, golden, dappled woods. And then you come across this hole in the ground. And the hole has all this black sludge coming out of it. And um, something monstrous uh, attacks your dog and, and kills it and pulls it down into the hole. And that's where the pig is coming from, I guess. It's fucking scary. I remember being like... <laughs> Like, it has this kind of, like, surreal psychological horror thing going on. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, this is why I really wanted to play this game. Because I I think the title, A Plague Tale, colon, Innocence, like, it makes Mm -hmm. you feel like you know what you're getting into. It's like some kind of historical drama. But Mm -hmm. there's a lot more going on. Um, And the gameplay really reminds me of, like, The Last of Us. Like, it's a mix of Mm -hmm. um, sneaking, um, throwing bottles and bricks and things to distract enemies, um, and being very um, grounded in the sense that against these much bigger, stronger enemies. So in this case, it's like guards, uh, like Inquisition soldiers searching for you. Um, There's, you have to be very careful because like you're not in a one-on-one melee battle, you're not going to win. And if in one or two hits, these monsters are these people, they're not monsters, they're people, um, (laughs) just fuck you up. But their actions are monstrous. But the monsters are, the real monsters are the ones that we've encountered along inside Um, (laughs) so it just it gives me a lot of those vibes of um of sort of having to really be strategic in my movements um and that constant dread in the back of my mind that i don't want to get caught um Mm. but i think in my second time around the game is gorgeous um it's really hooking me with its sort of mysterious uh through lines so i'm trying to give it another chance um Mm -hmm. And then the third game, of playing, <laughs> I don't know, I just can't make up my mind these days, but a game just came out recently that um, I think we're both playing and I know mm-hmm. Jamie's, Jamie infected me with her excitement. So that's definitely why I initially picked it up, um, but it's I'm a game so called, no, don't be, <laughs> uh, called Nobody Saves the World, um, just came out. Uh, in January this month, just a few days ago, um, from Drinkbox Studios, who 
Um, I've made a couple other really awesome games. Severed, which is one of Jamie's like favorite games that you played last year. Possibly a favorite game, one of your favorite games ever. Is that overstating it? Um, it might be overstating it a little bit, but it, and I didn't play it last year. But Severance, like Severance, probably up there is like one of my favorite Vita games for sure. Oh, Vita. Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. R.I.P. Um, Vita and Guacamelee, which is like a um a brawler. Sides, yeah, side scrolling punch him, beat him up, Metroidvania. Yeah, mm-hmm. where he plays a luchador. Yeah, so it's like like make these like really cool, kind of like stylized. Um, very stylish games dynamic games um but in nobody saves the world so this is a really cool game i think um one that's definitely getting me more into this concept of a dungeon crawler so nobody saves the world is a 2d rpg kind of dungeon crawling game you literally start the game as nobody like this little person <laughs> who is completely white doesn't really have discernible features my favorite part about the starting character is like you press a to attack and they just push their arms out and like <laughs> slap the air like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so like you're just you know the embodiment of weakness um, yeah and you discover a magic wand kind of Honestly, very chicory style. Mm, mm-hmm. It really gave me those vibes of just sort of being this nondescript person um, who discovers something that gives them a power that um, makes them capable of being the hero um, or, or redefining what it even means to be a hero. Mm-hmm. But in this game, um, you pick up this magic wand that uh, you're not really supposed to, it's not meant for you, but you're there and you pick it up and it gives you the power to actually change shape and transform into different classes um so when i first pick up the wand i'm able to turn into a rat and then when i get to a certain level of proficiency with the rat uh when i level up instead of just leveling up my one character it opens new branches of other things that i could turn into so in my scenario um the rat from the rat i could turn into a guard who's like a warrior with armor and a big sword or i can turn into a ranger who's like wearing light armor and a bow and arrow and so as you keep leveling up you can unlock this whole intersecting web of like different um types of fighters and so you really have the flexibility to um you know if you don't like a certain character you can just be someone else or Mm -hmm. um if you can't get through if if you're having a really hard time fighting through a specific dungeon you can completely switch up your strategy and try to be a different character um so that's the general premise. Jamie, do you want to share some of your like initial impressions of Nobody Save the World? <laughs> well, I, I also love the design of the titular nobody. And mm. <laughs> honestly, the the art in Drinkbox's games is one of the biggest draws for me. I'm a big sucker for for a creative art style. Yeah. And I think they they're a studio that's not afraid to use really vibrant and even like clashing colors. Mm. the the art design that they have gone with for this game just that the way the imagery pops on the screen and the way the characters are really brightly colored but they almost because it's a it's 2d animation and everything has really kind of thick black lines around all of the character designs it gives it this almost like your watcher you know you alluded to chicory but it feels like i'm watching a fully colored in coloring book Mm. play out in front of me uh, just I, I can't say enough about the art style of this game. It's definitely yeah. the that vibrant uh, feast for my eyes is part mm-hmm. of what's keeping me uh, definitely a big part of what's keeping me engaged. And the the form changing that you alluded to, I think, is such a creative and interesting mechanic. Um, 
you know, because yes, you're you're leveling up the individual forms, the individual characters. You're also leveling up your base character. So as you're gaining experience, uh, the game uses this really interesting kind of quest progression system where it gives you constant little goals, which, you know, me, I love a list. Mm-hmm. I love a checklist. I love I love something that's going to give me a little check mark and say you completed it. Yes. I think for, for anyone who's a trophy hunter or who plays games for the uh, that kind of like uh, drip feed of satisfaction at completing yeah. small tasks, Validation, uh, Nobody yeah. Saves the World is for you. This is yes. for you. This was specifically designed. You want a cookie? You will get a cookie very consistently. The you know I'm the perpetual rat at the uh, the sugar water feeder. I'm just like <laughs> getting those little check marks <laughs> and watching the little bars go up, and uh, that's definitely very enjoyable. The and the the menu that you open up to see the list of tasks and the list of forms and all that is also so well designed, so vibrantly colored just really fun to look at and to yeah. feel like the feeling of progression is almost constant if you're mixing up your forms. And I really appreciate that. It makes me, makes me feel like I'm achieving things. And you know, you hear us talking a lot about these mechanics in the game. And I do think that's a strong part of the game. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, the narrative is very minimal. You know, you're this nobody, you wake up, the world is ending this thing called, is it the calamity? Yeah. I think is that that's what it's right. called. Uh, is, is taking over the world and the head magician of this area, who would usually be the guy Nostromagus that everyone would mm-hmm. go to to solve all of their problems, he's missing. And the only person that the next, his next in line, his assistant Randy, is the only guy left. And Randy's a little shithead. Yeah, jackass. And, <laughs> and so you steal the wand, and <laughs> you're going to try and fix this. And basically, you just go through narratively. You're going through these quests, and nobody's giving you any credit. For anything that you're doing, Randy keeps showing up and trying to steal credit mm-hmm. and also put you in jail for taking the wand that he thinks belongs to him. But you don't give a shit. You're you're just out here to do what you can do. Yeah. And that's kind of all we get from the narrative at this point that at the point that I'm at in the game. And I don't really see this necessarily going anywhere incredibly. I mean, I'm sure it'll be a fine narrative, but I just, you know, I, I'm not expecting for that to be where my enjoyment comes from in this game. This is not, you know, a game that I'm going to be de- touting the writing or anything like that. What I'm mm-hmm. loving is that constant feeling of progression and the variety of forms that I get to play with. And one more thing that I'll throw in there with the the forms, you're leveling up the forms, but I've also reached a point in the game where I'm starting to realize that you're also leveling up the abilities mm. because each form, each of the different forms you can change to. And I think there's, there's a lot, I want to say there's like 15 or 20 different forms in the game that you can unlock. So there's a huge variety there and they, they all play pretty distinctly, mm. but they have their their um, what's called their signature attack and mm-hmm. a signature passive ability. Each character has a signature, one of each of those locked in. As you level up the character, though, they earn additional abilities and additional passive abilities that can be assigned to, uh, in the case of, you know, on the Xbox controller. God, I'm not going to remember. What are the buttons? You got... You got- <laughs> I don't remember the buttons on a fucking Xbox controller. Uh, the Xbox controller has Y, X, A, and B. Okay, and so A is the one on the bottom yeah. of the little diamond, right? Yeah. So that's what your signature move is attached to. You eventually, as you level up the form, you unlock abilities for the other three buttons. However, those other three buttons are interchangeable 
with abilities that you unlock from other forms. Mm. As is, you as you as you your base character levels up and gains XP, the nobody levels up and gains XP, which you get for um doing quests that are more like rollover kind of quests. Like <clears throat> you can get a never-ending quest that's like kill X number of enemies, and every time you complete that, you gain XP. Yeah. So as you gain that XP, you level up nobody, and as nobody levels up, you unlock passive ability slots. Everything beyond that A button slot and your first passive ability are interchangeable. You actually can level up ability. You're leveling up abilities as much as you're leveling up forms and then switch and swapping them around Mm -hmm. to find good combinations of abilities that can make the characters wildly OP when you actually take them into a dungeon. And that there's such a playfulness in that and a creativity that I'm just really impressed with. Yeah. Um, and, And I've really just super enjoyed going with each of the getting into each of the forms i love when i unlock a new form and i can just run around with that form for a while get the hang of the base attack and then start mixing stuff up as i level Mm. it up and trying to find a a good combo that's that's gonna just decimate a dungeon i don't feel like i'm very good at the game (laughs) really i still i'll go into a dungeon that says it's at my level and just get my ass handed to me for a while until i kind of figure out the puzzle i feel i feel feel like there's a bit of a puzzle element to it because you kind Mm. of have to figure out you know, most of the dungeons, like, okay, there's a lot of enemies in here that are, uh, that require a specific type of damage. So how do I find a character that's both going to be able to stay away from them, deal out that kind of damage, and okay, there's going to be swarms of these enemies, so I have to be able to deal out a lot of damage quickly. Mm-hmm. What's kind of the way I can stack uh, debuffs against these characters and take out a lot of them at once? I don't know. Yeah. So it feels like there's a level of strategy involved in that, too. It's not not just mastering the actual mechanics of the game. Yeah. Is any of that resonating? I don't know. Oh, How are yeah. you feeling about all that? So much. Uh I just, uh, what you're saying about the art style, like I it feels very much like I'm playing a 90s cartoon. Like I feel mm, like yeah. almost like I'm in uh like Courage the Cowardly Dog or like Rocket. <laughs> yes, Team yes, that's a great or, pull. Like it feels very um cartoonish and alive and irreverent. Um like I absolutely mm-hmm. hate that the first land that you explore after you leave the first town is this forested area and it's called the king's bush (laughs) (laughs) i totally missed that that's amazing (laughs) like everything like a lot of things have these very tongue-in-cheek uh just completely irreverent names um and when you were speaking of the playfulness of just the way that the game's mechanic works like it's this um dungeon crawler where you're really in control of being whatever you want to be to kind of wreak havoc in your own way like it, it it feels very um collaborative and cartoonish and uh it almost not in a literal way, but it reminds me of Inscription in the way that it's sort of breaking the rules of what this type of game is supposed to be and sort of um, putting control in the player's hand, almost like being part of the game that's being created. Um, and I just, I find that very charming and playful as well. That The playfulness um, just really resonated with what you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a favorite form yet so far? <sighs> oh, man. Oh, I really like the animals, like being the horse or I the love being rat. the horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, like, um, I, I just like the little things that I, I think the way that the game can be really immersive is um, 
the way that the world reacts to the different forms that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, like as a horse, I fell in love with a majestic <laughs> stallion, and yes. uh, like that was just some, an interaction. That beautiful I was, gold stallion. <laughs> yeah, like, I just was not expecting that. Like, um, uh, there's these horses out in the world and in any other form, like you interact with the horses and it's like, it's a horse or like um, the horse doesn't, this horse doesn't care about your problems. Um, And I was like, Oh, okay. And then I was like, Oh, I have a horse form. Like I should try that. And I turn into the horse and it's like, now this, when I talk to the stallion, it's like, now this is a specimen of a horse. Like you lay your muzzle across his glistening back. And I'm just like, whoa, there's like stuff happening in here. Yeah, um, like, <laughs> some light horse erotica. Yeah, some, like, yeah, like light horse erotica fan fiction, I guess. Like, yeah. Um, so it's just like things like that. Um just really make it unexpected and enjoyable. Um, and like I said, I'm not a real dungeon crawler player. I get yeah, very, same. even in this game, uh, you know, entering some spaces, I'm just like overwhelmed by the amount of enemies coming at me. And um, uh, I've been feeling like, oh my God, am I just really bad at this type of game? But what you said about it being a puzzle is kind of making me shift my perspective a bit. And if I can approach it that way, I think I might have a better time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely have... Uh... Every every dungeon that I've gone into outside of the ones that I would like the very early ones, um, if I'm not well above the dungeon level or even if I am that you can very quickly get overwhelmed by the enemies. So that's definitely been I find when I found myself getting frustrated, I was kind of like, I think I'm just like not tackling it this tackling Mm -hmm. this correctly. I don't think it's about finding the right form that I'm going to be able to go in there and just melee them to death like that's that's not what the game wants me to do the game wants me to figure out what what's a way that you could attack these folks that would allow you to actually take them out quickly enough that you're not just uh getting your damage mode down yeah but i do really love uh the horse form in particular (laughs) it's it's also particularly unique to control because the horse's primary attack is to kick with its back legs. And so it's kind of got the, it's not a very intuitive uh, way to play the game because you actually have to turn the horse away from the thing that you want to attack. And then there's a, you can hold the right trigger to like basically keep the horse locked into that position. And then Mm -hmm. you can still move it around the screen with the the other, the left joystick. Um, But once I got that mastered, I did totally mow through a couple of dungeons with that because that the back kick, the horse has a lot of HP and that back kick like throws enemies both into each other and the wall and makes them take impact damage. And it was just like, yeah, just demolishing people with that. There's a lot of fun once you get it together. Yeah, that, uh, that, like the, the constraints of each, uh, Mm -hmm. form is really fascinating because it's like, you think, oh, you know, I might look different, but I'm sure that the I press A to attack. Like, it's all the same. And the mm-hmm. way that the game does little twists to kind of make each one have their own constraints and feel like you need to sort of take a minute to learn who this character is and how they work. Um, it really just adds another another layer of a dimension to it. Like, I, um, I, I really appreciated that about the horse as well, because it's like getting used to that is a bit tough. Like, the fact that because it's a horse, it kicks. So of mm-hmm. course it's only going to attack backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, how am I going to use this? And then once I mastered it and was like, Oh fuck, I have so much more HP and this kick is hella strong. Um, like it just feels that much more rewarding. Um, and I thought that was just like a really creative twist on, um, on how to make these forms feel really like embodied and different. 
Mm-hmm. And then you put the archer's like super speed arrow move on the horse, and you can have arrows shooting out your front and kicking what? out the back. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I'm having a lot of fun with Nobody Likes Us. I have no awesome. idea if I'll see it all the way through to the end. I've definitely, I've read some reviews saying that it kind of hits a grind wall um, hmm. where, you know, it reaches a point where you've unlocked all the forms and it feels like you just have to keep grinding out to be able to beat things. You know, who knows? Maybe that'll be a stopping point for me. But right now I don't have all the forms unlocked and I'm really just mm-hmm. enjoying going through and, and leveling everything up and playing around with it. So nice. it's a good distraction until Horizon comes out. Yeah. Also, you just called it Nobody Likes Us, which is funny because that's Jamie's um, gamer tag. <laughs> but yeah, oh, everyone boy. should go play Nobody Saves the World. <laughs> <laughs> what I didn't get a lot playing, of sleep Jamie? last night. Uh, <laughs> What else am I playing? I'm also uh, in, in, I'm not quite in as quite as much of a bounce around mode as you are, though. I certainly know that uh, that vibe well, but I am also playing right now. I'm playing the Ruined King, mm. which uh, the Ruined King colon a League of Legends story. Uh, that's right, folks. League of Legends. That's right. We're wall gamers now. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I will ever actually touch the core MOBA, but <laughs> Arcane got me interested in that league of legends lore uh Mm -hmm. the arcane show uh from netflix i talked about a couple weeks ago and i had heard about this game i had heard that it was a pretty solid rpg and i wanted it was uh for sale over the holidays on the playstation store and so i decided to pick this up it came out in november of last year it's developed by airship syndicate uh, who i'm not super familiar with as a developer but they did do darksiders genesis which um interestingly was kind of a different take on the Darksiders games mm. um, that came out. What's Darksiders? Oh, Darksiders? Darksiders is like knockoff Zelda slash God of War combined. Oh. <clears throat> it's kind of like a like a solid like B-tier game. Darks- the Darksiders games are pretty fun. You play as cool. different uh, horsemen from the apocalypse. And it's oh. basically a third person action adventure game with uh, you know, with some light puzzle solving and some Metroidvania elements. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Darkseid Genesis was a departure from the that format. And it was like, I believe it was like a top-down RPG game that you could actually play co-op. It's more like a Diablo kind of dungeon <laughs> crawling sort of thing. So anyway, they're a developer that has apparently done this before where they come into an existing franchise. They take the world, the lore, the characters, and they make a game that's like, functionally very different from the game that all that stuff comes from uh ruined king is a turn-based rpg a spin-off to league of legends using characters and settings that originated in the moba and the one of the main things that intrigued me when i was reading about it is that it's a much shorter rpg um i'm someone that nice. uh, <laughs> a few years ago my partner and i tried to play divinity original sin 2 <laughs> which anyone who has heard of this turn-based rpg game knows that it is like at minimum like a 70, 80 hour game, oh probably going to take you well over a hundred hours to beat. I've always been very intrigued by these types of RPGs, but it's also really hard to dedicate that kind of time to a game. And especially like in a co-op experience like that, where we were trying to play it, we probably sunk a good 30 or so hours into it and like barely, barely scratched the surface Whoa. of what the game had to offer. Oh, and just just fell off of it. Mm. I like the idea that this was a more compact experience, like version of something like that. I don't think that's going to appeal to everyone. Like people who are hardcore into turn-based RPGs 
this is probably not going to be the type of this is more like a baby's first turn-based <laughs> RPG experience. But it was good for me for what I wanted in this time where like I don't want to overcommit to anything because I know there's games on the horizon that are coming out. <laughs> games mm. on the horizon like uh, horizon that yeah. are coming out in a few weeks <laughs> that I'm going to want to like drop everything in play. So I don't want to get overcommitted in anything. And and so far I'm really liking this game. It's got a really cool art style. Um when you're playing in the open world, your character's kind of running around like a kind of isometric picture of the map. And mm-hmm. then when you go into battles, it turns into this uh what it's not exactly 2D, but it's more of a side-scrolling view of the battlefield. Your team characters will be standing in the screen um kind of in a row and the team that you're facing is kind of in a row on the opposite side of the screen. And the like I said, it's turn-based, so you're picking an attack at a time, but it has a really uh, it interesting initiative system Hmm. where you can actually see the speed at which your attacks will occur and you can influence that. So by default, um, you have a set of attacks that are instant attacks, which when you choose them, they will occur instantly. And then you have a set of attacks that are called lane attacks. And when you choose a lane attack, by default, it's a balanced lane attack, which takes a set amount of time to do, but that's like the normal version of the attack. But you can also do the lane attack in the speed lane, which means the attack happens faster uh, mm. but it occurs for less damage or you mm. could do a power lane attack where it takes longer for the attack to hit but it requ- it d- deals more damage so it gives us additional layer of strategy especially as you're playing you know you usually have two to three characters on your side of the screen and you kind of want to time their attacks you can see where the enemies are at on this initiative bar too and kind of plan things out and time things out so that you're hitting people at good times. So mm. for example, if I have an enemy that uh, will apply concussion damage to, or if I have a player or I have a character on my team that'll p- apply con- concussion damage to an enemy, I want his attack to hit first because then every att- attack that comes after that is going to apply stun mm. to the enemy on the other side. So I want my guy to hit first and then I can have my stronger person come through with a power attack that I scheduled to happen slower. Nice. That then's going to apply stun on the enemy. So it's making decisions like that in battle. So it makes the combat super fun. The story is fine. It's serviceable. I'm not super invested in any of the characters or what's happening yet. It's kind of this fantasy pirate story which is not necessarily like pirates aren't necessarily my bag essentially um you play as this kind of i don't think she's exactly a priestess but she's like a true i think she's called a truth bearer character uh, named alawi who believes in this serpent goddess Mm. uh they her and her people live on this island that's kind of a pirate paradise sort of a place. A lot of shady characters uh, following their, their desires. Uh-huh. And she, her and her people uh, are responsible for keeping back the, these like ghosty things that live on this mm-hmm. other Island. I don't know. It's fine. Like <laughs> the ghosty things are coming back. They're called like the harrowing or something like that. Some bad pirate dude that everyone thought was dead has gone and aligned himself with the ghosties. Uh-oh. And now they're coming back and they're going to kill people, I guess. So we're going to fight them. Nice. Whatever. She's teaming up with like this multicultural group of folks that I believe are all League of Legends characters that I have no context yeah, for. Yeah, I was going to say, is it like tangentially <laughs> related to League of Legends or are these all like... I'm pretty sure these characters are... Fr- I'm pretty sure the ca- like these characters like Alawi, 
there's a character named Brom. There's a character named Asua. They all seem like I'm, I'm pretty sure they're League of Legends characters. Um, cool. Because when you first are introduced to them, they, they put them on the screen with this little chunk of backstory that mm. I think is probably more familiar to people who play League of Legends and just say like, this is this person. This is where they're from. Great. They're in your party now. Nice. I don't know. I'm way more interested in like how the types of fighters that each character is how, and they give you um, really interesting upgrade paths too, where you do have a lot of flexibility, not as much as uh, nobody saves the world, but there's mm. a, you can kind of pick different trajectories for each character. Like mm. there's a character who's very obviously supposed to be a tank, but I can make him a tank. That's like totally, totally focused on drawing attacks and being just this bulwark of defense and absorbing damage or I could make him a tank who's more focused on hitting really hard, mm. but he can't take as much damage as he would otherwise. So you get nice. a you get a bit of variety there. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's been fun. That's cool. I feel like it's fascinating too, just from a um, I don't know if marketing marketing or strategic outlook in terms of how um, like League of Legends as a game has been an established fandom for like a decade, and mm-hmm. uh, the there are players who, um, I mean, it's like an esport mainstay. It's like there are players who are incredibly skilled at this game and it's very tactical and um, it takes, I mean, I would say it has a learning curve in terms of really nailing all of the interactions and what the right moves are. And so like having a TV show, not just to attract new potential new fans to the game, but also creating an entirely different kind of game where people who may be coming in from the show and have no interest in playing the like highly tactical, like what does MOBA stand for again? Uh, Oh boy. Massively online battle arena. Yeah. (laughs) So like, don't want to do that and have this option. Multiplayer online battle arena. (laughs) Awesome. Like, I don't know. I just think it's a cool way of bringing in new people and, uh, and sort of adding to the lore of league of legends and expanding it. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. And I do think, like, I'm pretty sure, just because I've heard people talk about playing League of Legends before, I think lanes are a concept that comes from League of Legends. So, I I don't know. We'll we'll see where I go from here. I don't see myself, you know, in a few years becoming a hardcore League of Legends player. (laughs) But I do agree that, like, it's interesting that they're trying to make the lore that's been built up around these characters for so long that league doesn't really have the space to explore in the type of game that it is like that. They're taking that lore and they're using it to build other properties out of. Yeah. Um, and that it can grab people like me who have no interest in, in league proper. I think Mm -hmm. that's cool. Um, I think, you know, especially for the writers who work on that game, who have probably spent a lot of time putting thoughts and energy into all of these cool characters that they're developing. And then they mostly just get picked based on their abilities and, mm. you know, players play with the different characters they like because, oh, they have a cool design or a cool weapon or I like the way I can use them in the battle. And we never really get to see any more narrative depth with those characters that they're and granted this game is I don't think providing a ton of that narrative depth, but it's, it's opening avenues for them to further explore those characters that have been created. So I think that's nice. What's the queerness factor of ruin King, a league of legends story. How gay is it? (laughs) Um, so far, I would say probably not very gay, although Alawi <laughs> is like a very buff lady. Nice. And uh, there's also oh God, some of the characters. I'm assuming this is a character from League, but her name is Sarah Fortune and the game calls her Miss 
Fortune. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and yeah, Miss Miss Fortune, nice. she's got some some big, big, uh, well displayed breasts. Great. In the artwork. So there's Great. that. And that doesn't necessarily have to be queer, but anybody who's into boobs might we love enjoy. Love conquers around here, yeah, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and Brahm is kind of a big himbo. Great. So yeah. himbos represent. Chads <laughs> rise up. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go ahead and transition over to our interview. Our guest for you today is Ty Gallasro. Ty is a writer, podcaster, and the editor in chief of Uppercut Crit a games and media site devoted to punching up through high-quality content that focuses on highlighting marginalized voices and great criticism. We spoke with Ty about how Internet Spite has helped Uppercut's growth, their tips on how to avoid boring homogeneity in mainstream gaming, and the inexplicable allure of Don't Nod's Vampire, despite it not being a very good game. <laughs> Spencer and I had several good laughs with Ty, and I'm sure you all will too. So without further ado, here's our interview with Ty Gallisrow. Hello to our wonderful guests, and thank you so much for joining us in the virtual Pixel Therapy Studio. Before we jump in, could you take a moment to share your name and your pronouns? Uh, hi, my name is Ty Gallas Rowe, and uh, I use he or they pronouns. And Ty, can you tell us a little bit about how you spend your time? Oh, well, that's a question. Um, I, well, for my time that I spend working, I am, uh, an editor at an esports website and also a freelance games writer of various different kinds of things. Um, I also run an independent games crit and just like kind of everything, um, site called Uppercut. Um, then that takes up a lot of my time. And then, um, I spend too much time on twitter.com mm-hmm. and <laughs> I also have two, uh, under two year old Shiba Inus that also take up a lot of my time. <laughs> oh no. <Aww. laughs> Ty, you mentioned that you are the editor in chief of Uppercut Crit. Well, you mentioned that you run it, but I know through Google that you're the editor in chief, (laughs) Uh, a games and media site devoted to punching up through high quality content that focuses on highlighting marginalized voices and great criticism. Um, I'd love to dive in. I have been reading Uppercut for a couple of years, so love the work you're doing. Um, What does it mean to you? you? (laughs) Of course. What does it mean to you to punch up? Um... I think it mostly means like, you know, taking taking the shot where it needs to be taken in a direction that's actually going to be productive. So mm. the I guess the easier way to define it is like what is not punching up, right, is punching down, which is, you know, like if you are somebody with any modicum of power and you're using that to, you know, crush other people or put them down in a way or, you know, just use that weight to knock people down instead of helping them up is kind of the antithesis of what we want to do. So we are looking to like, you know, be bold in those statements of saying like, Hey, this is wrong or Hey, we don't like this or whatever, or, you know, getting into the honest criticism of games, but it's also, you know, in theory, punching through barriers for people. So like Mm -hmm. more people, especially more marginalized folks can kind of enter the game space. Mm -hmm. 
I love, I love the way, um, like, I think sometimes people confuse criticism as being inherently negative or that it's like wrong because it's detracting from the enjoyment of like, I think I see this a lot, especially in video game spaces. Um, why do you think it's important for us to engage critically with things that we love? What's the value there? I guess to me, it's weird if you love something and you're not like thinking about it in all of the ways that it can be thought about. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like when I have something that even I have the thing of like something can catch my interest, even if I don't like it, even if I fucking hate it. If there's something about it that is interesting to me or that bothers me, like I'm going to poke and prod at that and like try to figure it out. So it doesn't really make sense to me when people just want to enjoy something without thinking about it. Cause to me, like the enjoyment kind of, at least in part comes from thinking about it and, you know, like seeing what is the thing doing? What is it saying? Like, there, I just I don't get that perspective. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's weird to me. Um, so yeah, just it it's important. I just think to like you know understand things for what they are and what they what they can be, right? Because games and other pieces of media are living texts a lot of the time, mm-hmm. or they're unique in that they have a lot of hands behind them. Um, and so I think it's important to be thinking about that kind of stuff when you're engaging with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So backing up a bit, what inspired you to start your own gaming and media blog with Uppercut? Um, so like right towards the end of when I was in university, I started listening to gaming podcasts um, and a lot of the people at the time who were, you know, like on IGN and GameSpot and stuff were all kind of saying like, if you want to do this, you can, you just have to, you know, like do it. You have to have some kind of portfolio or resume or something showing that like, Mm. Hey, you can do it. And so I was like, all right, well, I graduated from college and was looking for a job in between. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to do this. Why not? Um, And it was just me for a while. And then, I developed the relationships with the other people who ended up uh, coming onto the site with me. Um, And we just, yeah, kind of went from there, but the impetus was just kind of someone saying like, if you want to do something, you have to do it. Mm -hmm. And as you reflect back on the growth of your platform over the past few years, what's something that surprises you? The effectiveness of spite. (laughs) Please say more. (laughs) Um, I mean that in the literal sense that we did in, um, I think, I think it was 2020 get like a huge surge of people following us and like supporting us, uh, because a games journalist who will not be named, uh, tried to like subtweet us while we were doing our EGM fund and a lot of people were not (laughs) fans of that. So that like... And to be fair to him, he did like later apologize and stuff. But um, yeah, it like a lot of people are very big on fuck you energy, it turns out. (laughs) Um, So that was a very like. I heard Twitter runs on it. Yeah, it was like a material like gain in followers and stuff because of that. Um, And like, you know, we raised like over $12,000 
And I think it was in part because of that, like people were mad. And so they were like, here's money. Fuck that guy. Nice. Um, <laughs> which, you know, it was, it was like, okay, cool. Um, but also too, just like, <laughs> I, as a person, I'm just like, the more that something is like put in my way or the more that I am told that I can't do something, the more I will want to do it. And the more mm-hmm. I'm probably going to do it. So anytime you know like the odds of being you know a little indie site that has anybody give a shit about it or that is able to pay people or whatever are not high but Mm -hmm. i i did it it (laughs) absolutely um something i appreciate too about your coverage ty is that you have this penchant for highlighting and celebrating indie games um like i think about your coverage of titles like cooked with love um summer's end also like your undying love of battle chef brigade um and i was curious like (laughs) (laughs) i feel free to tell us more about your love of battle chef brigade but i'm curious to just hear in general like what drives you to keep searching through and highlighting indie games what do you love about covering indie games um i don't like to be bored um i actively get like you know like like the sensation of being hangry like i also (laughs) feel that when i'm bored i get like very pissy and itch like once i discovered it was the easiest way to get over that because there's just so much on there and Mm. because people are just like making whatever they want like some of it is very strange like you know five nights at freddy's fan games which is fine but there's a lot of just like all kinds of different stuff on there and so like just messing around with like i just enjoy as an activity like scrolling through itch like that's just like for funsies a thing i like to do the new instagram yeah pretty much (laughs) it's more fun too because you see stuff and you're like what the fuck is that and then you look and sometimes it's really cool and sometimes you're like nope that was not what i wanted to see today and that's fine you know that's the the creative the creative market um but yeah i just like that there's always new stuff and like things to poke around at that you know mainstream triple a gaming and even prestige indie to a degree like tend to just homogenize everything because Mm -hmm. you know like you're trying to appeal to to people who want to buy shit so like yeah we've unlocked the marketing secret y'all we can only make one thing (laughs) yeah like i mean that's the thing right like that's the attitude or at least like the i don't know i'm not a money doctor but like (laughs) all of that stuff kind of gets condensed into something that's more marketable and mm. it, it doesn't i mean they do probably have to worry about that in terms of sales but a lot of people are just doing it like because they want to so I, this approach uh that you take to itch and just constantly browsing it and being inspired by what's there i kind of want to try to internalize that because i personally get overwhelmed and stressed out by the idea of how many games are out there that I'll never be able to play and my yeah. long ass list of games that I do want to play and still won't get to. Um, but taking, it just feels like letting it wash over you instead of being a rock and letting it crash against you feels much like a much better approach. Yeah. And I just like come to the conclusion. I've known this about myself for a long time, but it's gotten more and more concrete as I've gotten older. It's just like, if I'm bored of something or if I'm not interested in it, I 
like I won't make progress with it. I won't mm. have any like thoughts in terms of being able to write or do analysis. I need something, even if it's again something that I don't like. Like I need something to grab onto and like have some kind of emotional response from. And totally. like so rather than trying to keep up with like big stuff, which I still do to a degree because like I'm a freelancer, but um I don't know. It makes brain go burr, so I try to do that. <laughs> Okay, so, Ty, what's your personal history with video games? Oh, boy. Um, I've been playing games in some way or another, like, ever since I can remember. I played a lot of, like, edutainment PC games mm. as a child. <laughs> I had, like, an animatronic Barney who was, like, plugged into my computer. Sounds kind of terrifying, but I'm also intrigued. Yeah, I don't remember. I, I remember he was there. I don't. <laughs> I think he could move, but, like, not a lot. Did his eyes know. light up? No, I don't think so. Okay. Thank God. Yeah, I don't think there were any lights. I also, the game that was actually really scary for me when I was a kid, when I was super, super little, I had a Sesame Street game and oh. there was like a mini game in it with like masks. And I don't, I don't remember hmm. the premise of the game, but it was so fucking scary. <laughs> also Team um, Elmo, fuck Rocco while we're on the topic of Sesame Street. <laughs> I just feel like that rock is getting a lot of hatred for something that it, it's just vibing. It's truly just a rock. Okay, true. So Introverts rise up. He just, Rocco just wants to chill. I can respect that. Um, but, and then like, I think my first actual console was uh, the Super Nintendo. Mm. And I got that when I was like five. Um, but I I had like a weird growing up with games because i always had games but it was only ever like my dad would buy me games usually like i don't know like once a month or something but it was always like used games that were like 20 bucks or under and since i didn't know shit about shit i would always just pick the games with like the covers i thought were cool yeah so (laughs) i like had battletoads and i'm like one of the few people that has very fond memories of the original (laughs) battletoads because like i didn't know that it was really hard i just thought i sucked (laughs) um so it was fine. And then, like, I had an X-Men game on there that was cool. And, yeah, so I just had, like, random shit. And that was kind of the whole thing throughout gaming. Like, my GameCube, my PlayStation 2. It was just, like, whatever random thing looked cool. Mm-hmm. Which I think kind of explains most of my taste now. Because I'm like, oh, that's a weird thing. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, add it to the inventory. Ah, oh, man, that just, that unlocks some memories for me too of just like living in the GameStop used aisle and like so much of the time it would just be like the game case would be replaced with like just a white Mm -hmm. case that had the block printed name of the game and so I would kind of just be like "Welp, I have eight dollars I guess I'll pick the one with the most interesting title Um, and I miss the kind of just like reckless abandon with which i approach <laughs> games at that age like yeah just if the console looked cool or the game just had a cool monkey and a ball on in the cover like i was all over it um and now it's like i have to read all the reviews and see who's vetted opinions what the what the scores are and the rankings and um see, i think that <laughs> i think that like there's something there's something to be said for being a kid who was gaming on a budget. Like, gaming as a child, like, with parents <laughs> who were did not have the money to, like, always be getting you everything. Like, 
you have a different experience and I think it makes you a stronger person. Um, but I also, I still do that now. I just do it with the itch and then with like the Nintendo eShop. Like the yes. money that you all sent me, I literally just went on the Nintendo eShop and was like, what little weird shit can I find? Proud to help with that. <laughs> and Ty, do you, how do you feel about the label of gamer? Do you consider yourself to be a gamer? I think that it would be farcical for me to say that I'm not a gamer, considering (laughs) that I write about video games and play them for money. But I don't identify in that way in the same way that I would identify with, like, other parts of my identity or personality. Mm. Um, Like, I am actively trying to find more hobbies outside of gaming, because I do really love games, but I, you know... Your brain can't just be all one thing. Um, So I am resistant to it as a label, but I think it would be stupid for me to be like, I'm not a gamer. Come on. (laughs) It's interesting what you're saying about um, like how your brain can't, it can't all be one thing. Um, My next question was going to be like, how has becoming a games critic changed your approach to gaming as a hobby, if at all? It definitely has changed it. The thing is, like, weird, right? Like, again, like, I'm I'm just, I guess, like, an intensely critical person, like, inherently. So, like, whenever I'm playing or interacting with something, I'm, like, you know, analyzing it, which is, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it hasn't changed that too much, but there definitely is a fatigue because I play a lot of games, in a year just like because i want to or because Mm. um, there's coverage i want to do or whatever um so i do definitely get kind of tired and like listless with it sometimes but i think it also reinforces like yeah i definitely want to keep getting back into like the roots of finding like little weird stuff that i like because that continues to be the interesting kind of spark joy stuff Mm. Yeah, what are your, what are your, when you say like the interesting, weird stuff, like what do you look for? Like, what are you trying to feel and what kind of vibes do you want to get out of the games you play? It depends on the day. Um, I like fucked up little horror games. Mm. Like if you show me like a fucked up little vine or not vine, <laughs> twine, mm. different platform. Uh, if you show me like a fucked up little horror twine or like interactive fiction thing or like a visual novel very about that i'm always here for a murder mystery shit i love to solve a murder um i do just enjoy like visual novels that have like i don't know fun premises or like stuff that's like uh, i don't even know i just like fantasy or like urban fantasy stuff is always fun in visual novel department a lot of people have a lot of fun doing that kind of stuff um and then other than that i'm just looking for like sounds like makes you say like what the fuck or like that just has a funny premise or that like seems like it's saying something there's like one that i saw recently that's like about working at a pizza shop at night while you're Mm. like being hunted and it's like talking about (laughs) like capitalism and like being a fucking delivery worker having to deal with all this bullshit um so yeah i don't know just like Anything that kind of catches my attention. I feel like I have a more of a, like, what I don't want than what I'm, like, specifically looking for. Mm. But. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just 
I have very similar taste in like visual novels. Like I love a nice psychological horror and I love a game that like puts me in my place and reminds me that I'm a player and that the game exists separately from me and, and has a mind or a will of its own. So you mentioned you like to solve a murder, do a little uh, like horror um, on this. I love to solve it. I cannot emphasize enough how much I yeah. love to solve a murder. <laughs> like I'm very anti-cop, but mm. I love to solve a murder. Yes. Yes. Well, speaking of, we on the show, we like to ask guests to share a game that had an impact on them in some way or a game they really love. And the game you chose to talk to us about is Vampire, an action role-playing video game developed by Don't Nod. So um, one of, like, I had never, I'm surprised I've never heard of this game um, because I'm also, of reasons. <laughs> they, like, they did one like one or two big marketing pushes for it before it came out and then people like were looking at the trailers and were like this does not look good and then they stopped showing it and then it Stop came out, out. Okay. i'm pretty sure that's correct see um, i watched the trailer and i thought narratively it looked really compelling but the graphic quality was a little yeah a lot of people were looking at it and were like this looks like shit like the visuals mm-hmm. of it look mm-hmm. really bad like people were okay. not People did mm-hmm. not have high expectations, which is gotcha. fair because it's not good, but it's also <laughs> great. <laughs> okay, amazing. Well, for the folks at home, just want to give y'all a quick one-liner. Um, this game originally came out in 2018, um, and the plot is around or it follows the trials and tribulations of Mr. Jonathan Reed, a doctor who has been turned into a vampire and is torn between the Hippocratic oath he has taken to protect people and his newfound bloodthirsty nature um so ty if you were to describe this game in a few sentences to someone who's never heard of it how would you pitch a vampire it's okay well first of all it's bad i just want to get that <laughs> to the forefront so y'all know it's bad i think it's bad in a lot of ways mechanically i think awesome. that its overall narrative is very bad <laughs> They spoilers. They fridge the same woman twice. <laughs> Not good. But there are also some of the coolest systems I've ever seen in my life <clears throat> in terms of like making your mechanics connect directly to the game world and like the story and how you move through the world of the game. Um, and like it finds a really interesting way to make all of the characters that you encounter all the NPCs like matter. Mm. Um, and so I guess the selling is that it's like, I don't really know how to sell it. It's, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's that compelling of a sell when on the face, it's like a white dude vampire in England. Who's like, <laughs> you know, Oh no, I'm a vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he ends up working <laughs> at a hospital because of course he does. Um, <laughs> But they, like, know he's a vampire. It's not, like, a Dr. Acula from Scrub situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's... The combat is not good, but it has a lot of really interesting ideas. 
and a lot of the side like stuff is very interesting um and if you're a person who likes the rpgs that are about you know like how your choices impact the world and all that Mm. stuff and having the branching choices it's very much one of those in a way that's like sometimes super super cool and sometimes extremely fucked up Mm. and i know it's maybe been a while since you've played, but do you have an example that sticks out in your mind of how these mechanics, uh, you know, either like a really crazy story moment or a specific aspect of the game that still stands out in your mind? So, I mean, I guess the main thing is just like the core way it works, right? Is like, so you're playing as Jonathan and all, I don't know of every single one, but almost every NPC you meet is like, a bespoke citizen who was like they have a name they have you know a story to them of some kind they have a role within like the area of london that they live in like they're inherently part of a community um and then you as a vampire like to level up you need to drink blood so you can kill citizens to do that but if you do the districts will become more unstable because you're literally taking people out of these communities, Mm. which like also the other main thing is that like there's a quote unquote Spanish flu outbreak happening. So they are Mm. in the middle of an epidemic, which is haunting to play the opening of that game two years into a pandemic. Cause I did that yesterday and it's rough skis. Um, there's a lot there, (laughs) but, um, but so then they they complicate that more by being like, okay, so if you power yourself up, the game will get easier, which in, in short is if you kill citizens, the game will get easier, which mm. technically is true because you can like mega level yourself up and just like be a walking nightmare man. But <laughs> if you do that, the districts go to shit and once they become too unstable, they become like overrun by like other fucked up vampires Mm. so that makes it harder to like transition through them and if you lose a district it's like just fucked um Mm. and then on top of that you have citizens where they have like a you know base like a thousand xp or whatever if you drink from them but the more hints you get about their life and the more you find out about them the more (laughs) they become worth so there's all these fucking things that they're asking you to balance of like are you gonna kill people okay if you kill people who are you gonna kill how are you going to like, you know, balance the books here with all of these other factors? And then, well, are you going to kill them now? Or are you going to wait and find out more shit about them? And if you do that, are you going to go do all their fucking side quests? Like how much are you going to invest in this person to murder? Yeah. Them? Like, Right. It feels a little like fattening the cow before the slaughter. Like it's such a weird dynamic where it's like, the more you know about someone, the higher up value they get. Like it's like, yeah and uh, it's, yeah and then there's they add another level to it too of like jonathan being a doctor where like people can get mm. sick and start having afflictions and if they get sick um it brings down the stability of the district too so you have to be watching these people and like still being a doctor <laughs> and like taking care of people so that their districts don't go to shit while also like maybe eating their neighbor mm. Yeah, that's my question. Like, I'm guessing you can't be, like, a vegan vampire. So, like, if you don't want to kill, like, your friends or the people that you're learning more about, how do you survive? I mean, the game kind of posits to you that at some point you are going to have to eat somebody. (laughs) And it tries to do it 
right at the beginning, there's a dude who, like, you find who gets stabbed, and he's, like, clearly bleeding out, and and it's like, here's this man, you could eat him! And I just, I wanted to see what would happen if I didn't, so I didn't Mm. do it, because I'm pretty sure the first time I played it, I did. And, like, he just goes to the hospital and is, like, chilling there. Um, Mm. But I don't know. I think eventually you do have to eat somebody, and also there's a shithead priest that I absolutely want to eat, because I didn't get to do it in my first playthrough. Great. But his mesmerized level is like really, really, really high. Like you can't. Oh, is that the level at which you can seduce them to drink their yeah, blood? Yeah, and it's like nice. locked behind like acts of the game. So like until you get to the third act of the game, you're just like can't do it. So it's like, mm. oh, so you have to like outright attack people. Well, you have to like basically like you walk up to them and like I don't know, like vampire gaze <laughs> them, and then you can like yeah. steer them into the dark. And like a shadow, and then you eat them because you can't eat people in public because there are like actual vampire hunters ah, who will like course. try to fuck your shit up. Oh shit! Okay, there's a lot happening. There's a lot happening. It feels like a very alive like city, which is mm. cool. And like all of this stuff just like layers on top of it to make it this very cool, cohesive experience. Even if it's also like the main narrative is not good and mm. the fighting really, really sucks. Mm. So you're in it for the relationships? I guess so. <laughs> I'm also in it for the... I, I'm i a fan of, like, old school, like, Great Britain vampire literature. Mm. Um, so it hits a soft spot for me there. And also you can tell that, like, there are bits and pieces where the writing team was, like, on their bullshit. And I wish that they had dialed it up a lot more. Because, like, I feel like they tried to make this, like, very serious main narrative that's just, like, kind of stupid because of how serious it takes itself. Mm. But there are other cool parts, like, fucking the vampire hunter who is, like, the only guy in the city aside from the actual vampire hunters who are, like, you know, like, religious guys. There's this Mm. dude who's like, I'm the greatest vampire hunter ever. And you're like, you have to save him for being eaten. Uh-oh, That's yeah. just great! And there's, like, a whole... One of the main narrative arcs is about, like, a priest who's been trying to help people, but he, like, gets infected, and, like, how do you deal with that? Mm. Like, the sillier and, like, more, like, intrigue parts are great, and then it gets into the, like, old-school vampire politics bullshit, and I don't know, it's just mm. boring. But. Okay. So as a horror fan, like, how, where on the scarometer would you place vampire? It's not very scary. It's definitely moody like Mm -hmm. it's a very dark game and like if you're not paying attention especially in certain areas some of the like enemy vampire guys who are like they're kind of like zombies but they're like vampires they will just like come out of nowhere and jump on you and like scream and shit so Uh there's there are definitely like some startle moments if you're like a startle baby like i am Mm -hmm. but it's not too bad okay um and just in general like what do you what brings you to horror? Like you've mentioned a few times that um you love horror games, um, you love salt doing murder investigations, um, you love creepy stuff. Like, mm-hmm. what is it about horror games specifically that draws you in? I don't know. Horror games I actually have a harder time physically playing just because like the act of doing the scary things is like harder than, you know, being the bystander watching other people have to do the scary things. Mm. But I don't know. I've just always liked horror ever since I was a kid. Like, I was super into Goosebumps and, like, 
was reading Edgar Allan Poe at arguably a too young of an age. <laughs> um, so I've just always been into like, I don't know, I like to be scared and I like thinking about like what's scary and why things are scary and like the weird line between like rationality and like being illogical, but also how that could kind of blend into the supernatural or like stuff we don't understand. And like that in and of itself is, can be really scary. So mm. I don't know. I like, I like being scared. I like scary things. Mm-hmm. I don't, that was probably wasn't a very eloquent answer, but <laughs> no, I just, it's funny. Like I, I hated horror as a young person or child. I guess I'm hopefully still a young person, but like, um, <laughs> I just like couldn't, I would cover my eyes, cover my ears. I would get such vivid um, paranoia, like fears that like the little boy from uh, like, <laughs> like these little monsters would, would jump up behind my bed in the dark corners I couldn't see. And so like, I was just very anti as an adult. I've, my relationship with horror has like changed a lot. I really enjoy engaging with it. And maybe cause like, uh, as an adult trauma survivor, I sometimes feel like horror is like a fun way to like get out of my own head and live someone I else's think it nightmare. Can be really cathartic <laughs> in a lot of yeah. ways. I also, it's funny too because like I was a huge scaredy cat as a kid. Like my mom had a can of Lysol that she printed the label "Monster Spray" on to like spray on my windows and stuff <laughs> oh, because I was adorable. super, I was super super afraid and like. But I've always been more afraid of, like, stuff that you shouldn't, like, that's not meant to be horror. Like, mm. the gremlin from the Twilight Zone that's on the wing of the plane. <laughs> yeah. Super that's scary. scary. That scared the shit out of me as a child. Or, like, the Gollum from, the version of Gollum from the animated Hobbit movie. Oh. That scared the <laughs> shit out of me God. as a child. I, like, did not sleep forever after (laughs) seeing that movie i fucking hated him Mm -hmm. but like most horrors are like i i don't know why traditional horror stuff fine like little weird like fucked up guys not about it (laughs) yeah (laughs) my uh earliest fear was the car wash that you stay in the car and you go through it. Um, I did not like, like those either. The big They're claustrophobic. Things. Yeah. Just like scary arms, yeah. scary monsters attacking just, the car. You're just in there. You're in there. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get out. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like those to this day. I sit in there and I'm like, oh, I don't like being in here. I'll stand, please. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Where can folks follow your work and keep up with your writing? Uh, yeah, you can follow me um, on Twitter at a Wothkeeper. I post pretty much all my uh, stuff there. Uh, you can also check out Uppercut over at Uppercut Crit on pretty much everything. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on Pixel Therapy. Yeah, thanks for having me. up for today's session of pixel therapy thank you for tuning in and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own if you want more pixel therapy come check us out at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just two dollars a month plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly if you're not up for contributing monetarily but you enjoyed this episode you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on apple podcasts and following us on twitter and instagram at pixel therapy pod That stuff is just as important, and we appreciate it just as much. 
Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to butwhythopodcast.com. That's though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. You've heard a bunch about it today, um, but today's side quest is Uppercut Crit, a site creating critical writing podcasts and videos all about gaming. Um, so Uppercut has a Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash Uppercut Crit. Um, Something to remember is that uh, Uppercut is really trying to foster diverse, diverse voices in video games writing, and they compensate every writer who appears on their site. Um, so you can help them grow, um, enable them to keep making what they what they do by heading over to patreon.com slash Uppercut Crit. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more. Pixel Therapy. Therapy. Bye-bye.